If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Feel free to use a concordance. It's a very small book. It's right after Obadiah, which doesn't help you because Obadiah is one page. It's one of the minor prophets. You have a 1 in 12 chance. And I'm going to read all of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done it as as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Pray with me. Lord, I ask that through your Spirit you would give us an understanding of your gospel in this place tonight. 
as we see the Gospel here on paper, may You write it on our hearts through Your Spirit. We need to hear from You, Lord. Each person here is prone to build on sand instead of digging down into the rock. I pray that we would listen to Your words for for us in this place and we would build on the rock. And that rock is Jesus. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may Your words remain. May they change us. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Um, We've been going strong in Luke now for about 16 weeks. Um, And so I thought we would take a brief break um, for three, maybe four weeks to look at the book of Jonah. Um, I know that uh, I said in jest last week that we were going to be looking at the book of Jonah as a way of kind of fleeing away from Jesus' teachings that have been so hard. Um, But that's not why we're studying it. Because you're certainly not going to flee from that by reading Jonah. Um, In many ways, the book of Jonah is actually the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. In story form. That's what you see here. Because in Jonah, we find a man who's called by God to love his enemies. To not judge his enemies. To bless those who were persecuting him. And he resists. Well, he did more than resist. He got up and ran. And he's a very religious man. But he's a very religious man who didn't understand the gospel. He's someone who spent his entire life building on sand instead of digging down and building on the rock. And God exposes that. And so he's good for us to study. um, Good for us to read because I think in the book of Jonah, we perhaps have the best picture of the gospel of anywhere in the Old Testament right here. The best picture. And we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of the gospel. As we looked last week, that understanding the gospel, a lot of times it takes hard work. You have to dig and you have to dig. And before you ever find that rock, this story helps us dig. I think it helps us dig because it gives us this concrete picture, a very vivid picture of the gospel. You know, we use words all the time like sin. We use words like grace, but here you get a picture of sin. Sin is running away from God. Grace is God running after you. And you get this very vivid picture. And that's what this book is about. It's about sin, it's about grace. It's only 48 verses. You can read it in about 10 minutes. But here we get this picture of the gospel. Now, there's a lot of other themes besides just sin and grace. But I think that's the thrust of the book. I went through this this week and I studied a whole lot of different commentaries um, because Jonah's always intrigued me. Uh, At the University of Georgia, freshman English class, we studied the book of Jonah because they said it was an outstanding example of um, ancient prose and ancient poetry. And they were right. It's it's a story that captures your imagination. It kind of draws you in. Whether you're out in the Christian faith or whether you're outside the Christian faith, you've heard of Jonah. You've heard it. There's a lot of commentaries. I read one called Jonah, a model of faith and film in Hollywood. Pretty interesting. Another commentary was Jonah, the honeymoon is over. Another commentary was Jonah, a psycho-religious approach, which had such... Stimulating chapters is this, 
This is the chapter title, A Socio-Rhetorical Criticism as Methodology in Its Relation to Interdisciplinary Models. And that's what I'm going to preach on tonight. Uh, There's a lot of different ways you can look at Jonah. But don't forget that the basic thrust is the gospel. Sin, running away from God. Grace, God not letting you. If I had to write a commentary, I'd call it, God in His grace will hunt you down. He will hunt you down. Now, outside of this book, we don't know much about the prophet Jonah We've got an obscure reference to him in 2 Kings chapter 14. It says that he was the prophet to King Jeroboam. And this was a very prosperous period in Israel's time. And so being a a prophet during this time, you would have had a lot of respect. You would have been well known. And here the word of the Lord comes to him and it tells him to rise, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, some about like 500 miles this way to the east. And preach against it. And so, Jonah rises and he goes 500 miles the opposite direction to what is now Spain, what they would have considered the ends of the earth. And and when you see this here, you've got to realize this is not just disobedience. This is so much more than disobedience. And disobedience would have said, told God when God said, I want you to rise, I want you to go to Nineveh. Disobedience would have said, no. And you would have just kept on doing what you were doing. This is outright defiance. This is rebellion. This is not only no, it's I'm going to go the exact opposite direction. I need to get away from your presence. The phrase in the word of the Lord came. This is a very common phrase that you find in a prophetic call. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Or in the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. It's when a person receives their call. They receive their purpose in life through this call. And so when Jonah flees from this, he's not just disobeying. What he's saying is, Lord, I reject your purpose for my life. I reject your will for my life. He hears God say, Jonah, I've created you for this purpose. And Jonah responds, I reject that purpose. I'm going to be my own God, all right? I'm not going to build my life on your words. And this is different than uh, kind of the initial hesitation to accept the call that you find in people like Moses or Gideon or Jeremiah. You know, when when the word of the Lord came to them and God visited them, they put up excuses. You know, Moses said, well, Lord bad idea, I can't really speak. Jeremiah said, uh, I don't know, I'm just a young boy, get somebody else. But you have in those stories, they're at least dialoguing with the Lord. They're praying with the Lord, and they later accept the call. Here, Jonah doesn't dialogue. God tells him, this is what I want you to do, and he goes, Boom. opposite direction. No. Just runs away. And when one turns away from God, you're going to see disastrous consequences. That is the result of if you try to become your own God. When you decide to build your life on anything other than God, your life is going to fall apart. And so no matter how scary God's words are to you when they come to you, no no matter how 
unnecessary his words seem to you when they come to you? How unnatural they are when they come to you? You've got to hold on to them because if you ignore them, if you rebel against them, your life falls apart. And Jonah is a very vivid example of how this happens. Soren Kierkegaard, I love his definition of sin. I only use it here about every other week. But uh, he, he said that sin is simply building your identity on anything other than God. Building your identity on anything other than God. And here we see Jonah. He's built his identity on being a Israelite, a well-respected and successful prophet. He's built his identity on being very moral and religious. He has not built his identity on God's call for his life, on God's word. And so when God calls him to leave this very prominent, prophetic position in Israel and go to the pagan Heathen Ninevites. He says, I'm not going to build my identity on that. God, you will not be the center of my life. I don't know if you can identify with that. I I, I can identify with many times God not being the center of my life. You know what I found is often what you you most hate in another person or you most despise is the very thing that you've built your life on. And I've shared this before, but you know, if you're at, you know, you're at Walmart or, or Kmart or someplace and, and the people are so slow, so unhelpful there, and you despise them for that. You just, it drives me crazy. It's because you value, I'm a really good hard worker. That's what I am. I work really hard. And you've kind of built your identity on that. Or when you're trying to help the poor, and and there's some poor that are just, you're like, you're poor because you're lazy. That's what you are. You don't work at all. And it kind of makes you angry as you're helping the poor. Why? Because you pride yourself on the fact that you're not lazy. I've made the most of my opportunities. And you built your identity on that. And here at Jonah, he's asked to go to some people who aren't moral, who deserve God's wrath, and he's saying, you need to give it to them. I'm not going to go there because I know they're going to repent. I'm not going to go there because I've built my life on my own self-righteousness. That's his God. Verse 3 says that he flees from the presence of the Lord, and we just read in our responsive reading that you cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. Jonah would have known that. That psalm was written before. He even lived. He knows you can't run away from God. I mean, after all, if God's going to be with him as he goes to Nineveh, certainly knows God's going to be with him as he goes off to Tarshish. And even when the the sailors confront him, he says, all right, I worship the God who made the land and the sea. Translation, I worship the God who's everywhere. He knows he can't outrun God. No, to flee from the presence of God, and the word presence in Hebrew is literally face. He is fleeing from the face of the Lord. It means he's trying to break his relationship with God. 
He doesn't think that by going 500 miles in the opposite direction, he's literally going to outrun them. He just thinks, no, when I get to Tarshish, though, they're the people, they don't read the Hebrew Bible. They don't go to synagogue. They're not going to look down at me for my disobedience. Nobody's going to confront me about that. I'm not even going to hear the name of the Lord. And so I'm going to flee from his presence. I I, kind of think of this as, um, you know, if you have a breakup between a guy and a girl, we'll just say the girl breaks up with the guy. The first thing they're going to do is I'm going to go back to their home or their apartment. They're going to get rid of all the pictures of them together. You know, forget pictures. They're going to change their Facebook status. Single, you know. Take, take, take their man out of their Fab Five in their phone or something like that. They're going to, they're going to return any gifts that they might have gotten. Or at least give them to other people. They don't want anything that reminds them of the person they were once so attached to. That's what Jonah's doing. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be around anything. I don't want to be around the temple, other Israelites, the Hebrew scripture. I don't want to be around anything that will remind me of my relationship with you, God. I'm going to Tarshish, where they know nothing, and live among them. He is breaking up with the Lord, fleeing from that relationship, fleeing from his face. Now, we all do this. All of us are runners. I was thinking in my life, I think probably the most common way I run away from God is I run away from prayer. You know, when I pray, I become painfully aware of who I am. I become painfully aware of God's call in my life, which a lot of times I don't want. And so, I just try to avoid prayer a lot of times. You know, turn on the music in the car instead of be silent before the Lord. Go home, turn on the TV instead of be silent before the Lord. I try to make myself too busy to where I can really pray, to where I can really just hone in on the Lord. And and for me, a lot of times my busyness looks really good. I can prepare sermons, just really tear into different commentaries. I could go to the homeless shelter. I can serve the poor. I could go speak at school chapels. I could do different things like that. Really good things. And I could be utterly devoid of any kind of prayer life. That can happen. A lot of times we actually flee from the presence of God by becoming very religious. And all we're doing is running. Jonah is a religious man. Some of you flee by avoiding certain people you know the Lord wants you to talk to. Maybe a person you sin against. You're just like, well, I'm just, I'm going to avoid wherever they are. They call, no way, screening it. You're fleeing. And let's look at why he fled. You know, your first temptation is to think that he fled because of fear. I mean, he's being asked to leave this great prominent position and go to Nineveh, which was a pretty dangerous place. It's the soon-to-be capital of Assyria. It's a very large city. Most people think it's about 2 million people at this time. It had a a 60-mile circumference, a wall 60 miles in circumference, at about 100 feet high. Some of the towers, there were over 1,500 towers on this wall 200 feet high. 
It took a million people eight years just to build the walls to this city. And so it was a very imposing city. And it was full of pagan, evil people. Israel knew, even though they were being very prosperous right now, they could see the writing on the wall as dominant Assyria is rising to power. And they knew what the Assyrians would do to them. And here, Jonah's being asked to go to his enemies. These very powerful enemies. I I kind of have this mental picture, and it'll show my little nerdy side, but I picture little Frodo Baggins. And I picture him going to, like, the gates of, of Sauron. It's like, and he's supposed to go in there and say, you know, you've all been so bad, you know. It's a death wish. That's suicide to do that. But that's not why he runs. He might have been a little scared. Probably was. That's not why he runs. We find out later, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a hint. It's not like you haven't read this book before. Probably a lot of you have. He actually says, well, God, the reason I'm running is because I know if I go there, they'll repent. I know if I go there, you will be merciful, you will be kind, you're going to be gracious to them, you're not going to destroy them, you're going to turn all their hearts towards you, that's going to happen, and I will not have it. I will not have it. You know, Joseph is a self-righteous, self-centered bigot probably be a good description of him. That's who he is. I mean, he might have been a prophet, but he has absolutely no understanding of the love of God. He's hypocritical. He's full of hatred. And get this, I think that's exactly why God chose him, to go and to do this. You would think, you know, I'm sure there's other options there. I'm sure there's some pretty missional-minded people. Some people are very kind and gracious. But no, he picks the one who will judge. He picks the one who has hatred. And he says, now I want you to go to them. And he does that because he doesn't only want to change the Ninevites, he wants to change Jonah. He's going to use Jonah's enemies as a way of teaching him the gospel. Jonah seemed like a good moral person on the outside, but inside he is absolutely full of hatred. And God says, we need to deal with this. I don't care if you've been to church your whole life. I don't care if you're an amazing preacher. You are filled with hatred. And I think God still works this way. You know, he's going to call you to go and love that one person. You know, if I said everybody close your eyes and think of that one person, all of you instantly have this one person who comes to your mind that you really can't stand. God's going to use that person to work the gospel in your life. And he wants you to go to that person. That, that neighbor, you know, who has all the parties, plays the loud music, refuses to ever cut their lawn, who you just really don't get along with at all. God wants you to love that person. As a matter of fact, God wants you to, to go and talk to that person, and they are going to teach you the gospel. They're going to drive you to the gospel. That's what we looked at last week. If you, if, you haven't had a, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the podcast. So much of this sermon is built on that. Because this is what we saw in Luke on the Sermon on the Plain. 
in which God gives you a command and you can't obey it. I can't. I can't obey that. You know you're going to fail because your heart is rotten. And so it drives you to the gospel. And when it drives you to the gospel, you, you find the resources that you need to then turn around and obey the command. And that's what's happening here. Jonah receives a command by God, go to the Ninevites. And he says, I can't do it because I want them destroyed. I don't want you to be compassionate for I can't do it. And this is going to drive him back to the gospel. Because God's going to show him by putting him on a boat and the way he behaves and all that he does, that he is just as wicked as the people he was sent to preach. There is no us in them. There's simply Jonah, sinner, Ninevite, sinner. And I'm going to pursue both. So Joseph, or I mean Jonah, he runs. But God runs after him. And God does this by sending a storm. And uh, this is not just any storm. This is a pretty huge storm. And you need to see this storm not as God's wrath, but actually as an act of mercy. It's a big act of mercy. Uh, This isn't God's wrath being poured out on on Jonah and just punished him. No, God's wrath would have actually been this. Okay, Jonah, go. Go. I'll find somebody else. That's, That's fine. Do what you want. But God loves Jonah too much. For Jonah, he he thought, he thought that going to Nineveh would be hell. And his mind is like, that is hell, absolute hell. But that's not hell, and he's going to start to realize it. Hell is actually when you flee God's presence. Hell is when you say, God, I don't want you in my life. Hell is actually when God says, okay, I, I won't be a part of your life. I'll forsake you. I'll let you go. And God will not let Jonah go to hell. And so he pursues him by sending this storm. And I love this, uh, the way the storm is described. And the NIV is somewhat misleading. If you have it, just, just, just throw the NIV away on your way out. Um, no, it's a, it's a good translation, but it's, it's sometimes it's misleading. And one of the things that it does is it makes it seem like there's... Jonah goes down into the boat, and then there's a storm. And actually, the Hebrew, it's the opposite. There's this great storm that comes. And Jonah, he sees the storm. And he knows what's coming. And while everybody else is running into action, Jonah actually begins shutting down. Doesn't do a thing. And he just slowly walks down into the depths of the ship. He knows what is going to happen. And he just goes and he falls asleep. It's really interesting. The word for for laying down in Hebrew, when he he laid down to sleep there, is actually used for when a person is laid down prostrate by a blow. Picture somebody coming up behind somebody and just knocking them down to their knees or down on their face. That is the word that's used for it right there. I'm not saying that that happened to Jonah, but He's being forced down. 
It's like the weight of everything, the consequences of everything are just driving him down to his knees. And the word for sleep there is only used four times in the Bible. It's the same word that's used for when God puts Adam to sleep and takes out a rib. God does surgery to him. It's the same word you find in Genesis 15 when Abram goes into that deep sleep and has the vision of the melting pot of God coming to him between the the animal halves when God's making his covenant with Abram. It's the same word that's used when Daniel falls into his stupor and has, has his visions. You can actually translate this a sleep unto death. He is knocked out. And what I think is happening here is that Jonah, he's, he's giving up. He sees the storm coming. He knows he's run. He knows his life is falling apart. He knows he's disobeyed God. And he just doesn't care anymore. And so while everybody else is trying to do all these little things, he just goes down and he just surrenders and he falls asleep. I can identify with this. I don't know if you can, but there's, there's been times in my life, um, times when there's just been so much going on. I feel like I got so many people angry with me. I've got way too much on my plate, uh, way too much to do. I'm, I'm doing nothing well at all. I feel like I've somehow just kind of missed God's calling in my life. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just so frustrated, and all I want to do is sleep. I don't know. If you ever feel that way, you just want to sleep. And that's Jonah here. Except he wants to go into a deep, deep sleep. Some of you, I think you are so deep into sin. You're so deep into it. You just don't care about fighting anymore. You just, you know, there was a time you cared, there was a time you tried, but you're so far gone from the Lord's will right now, you just don't care. You just want to go to sleep. God won't let you. For for those of you who think you could just do that, God is not going to let you. He's going to pursue you. He's going to keep sending storm after storm after storm in your life. He's going to make you wake up and deal with this. But God's going to keep pursuing you. Uh, The captain of the ship, he comes down, he says, What are you doing? How can you sleep? Arise, get up, call out. And, and, and Jonah, you kind of get this picture. He's being woken from this, this deep, deep stupor. And he hears the same words, the same verbs that the Lord had called to him earlier. Arise, call out. And it's like he's waking up from a nightmare. And he looks, and, and sure enough, the, the boat is just being seized on by wave after wave. And, and the sailors, they get them up and they're like, somebody's done something. This is not a normal storm. Somebody's done something. The gods are sending this. And so they, they cast lots 
I mean, do you really think Jonah was surprised, you know, as they're kind of, maybe they're drawing straws or something, and he gets the short straw? I mean, it's like, oh, wow. I mean, he knows it's coming. He knows it's coming. And so they all look at him, and they're like, what have you done? What have you done? He's busted. Let me tell you what, that's mercy. You're going to run away from God, God's going to send storms into your life. He's going to totally disrupt your life. That's mercy. He's going to slow you down and you're just going to say, I just want to sleep. I just want to put it all aside. And he's going to go, no, you're going to get up and I'm going to bust you in your sin. If you're out there and you've got anger issues, I'm going to bust you. You've got pride issues, I'm going to bust you. If you're sleeping around, I'm going to bust you. I'm going to bring it all to light. And that is mercy. It's absolute mercy. Because hell would be to let you keep going on with your life like that. Hell would be to let a person just sleep it off. But he's not going to do it. And he's not going to allow you to keep that sin in the dark where it has power over you. He's going to bring it to the light. I have never met anyone who was busted in some sin and was not thankful for it. Now, I've met a lot of people who, you know, maybe they were, you know, addicted to, to pornography or they were sleeping around or they were on drugs or something like that or having an affair, and they were initially extremely angry, extremely embarrassed, but then later they became so thankful that God busted them. And then they listen to the call of God and you in their life because when it says the word of the Lord came, you have to realize that when the word of the Lord comes, just like the word of the Lord came in creation, when he speaks, he creates. He gives life. And when people stop and they repent and they hear the word of the Lord coming to them, again, once again, there's life. There's joy. And then instead of, from, of fleeing from the presence of God, they start realizing that, you know what? In the presence of God, there is joy. In His right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And they're thankful for being busted. God needs to bust some of us in this room. If you're tired and you just want to go to sleep and you're sick of struggling, know God won't let you. If you want to keep running, know that God won't let you. He's too good of a God to do that. Too gracious. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for your word. May it bear fruit in our heart. Remind us of Jesus as we come to this table. It's in his name we pray. Amen.